So some of you guys probably know this, and some of you are just getting to know me, but I, I'm a big fan of literature. I, I majored in English literature when I was in college, and I did that on purpose. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a trick my advisor got me into. Like, I actually wanted to do that. I like to read and write great literature. I like all the classics. I, I, I love literature. And so I wanted to share one of the classics today. It is called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And if you haven't read this to your kids, like I'm talking, children's books can be classics too, and this is a good one. Um, it's really, really interesting because basically Alexander is having a bad day, and he just takes the whole book to whine about it. He's just whining and whining and whining and whining. That's, that's how it starts. That's how, that's how it ends. Uh, he's having a really bad day. It says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard. By mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It's not starting off well. It's not going to get any better. He has a bad breakfast cereal experience. And he basically comes up to the conclusion that he says, I think I'll move to Australia. Surely these things don't go so horribly down under. And so he wants to move to Australia. I'm not going to hit every part of the book, but everything that could go wrong keeps going wrong for poor Alexander. His school day is bad. His teacher doesn't like what he's doing. He's singing too loud. He's counting and he misses the number 16. Uh, it, it, everything's going bad. He has some friendship issues. And then after school, his mom takes him to the dentist, which that right there could be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, just alone. But he goes to the dentist and his siblings, of course, have perfect teeth and he has a cavity. And the dentist says, come back next week and I'll fix it. And he says, can't do it. I'll be in Australia. And so he keeps on going. The end of his day doesn't get any better. He says, there were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain. I had to wear my railroad train pajamas, and I hate my railroad train pajamas. It's a bad day. His mom comes to the end of this thing. Sorry to spoil it for you. And she says, my mom, Alexander's still talking. He says, my mom says... Some days are like that, even in Australia. And that's the end of the book. Here, kids, here's some hope for you. <laughs> some days are like that. Some days are just bad. Sorry. Like, but we've all been there as parents, right? We just realize, yeah, I got nothing for you. I'm sorry. Some days are bad. It'll get a lot better and easier when you get out of high school. But some days are just bad, like Alexander. And the, I, I just think that book is hilarious because of all the whining and then no help at all. But here's what we're going to see with Paul. First of all, we're not going to see him whine. We're going to see him talk about his circumstances. And we, all know, we, we already know a little bit about these circumstances. But then we're going to see some hope come from Paul. We're going to see a really amazing picture of hope when we get there. And we're going to, we're going to get help from his story. So we're in Philippians. We're just getting started just a few weeks in. Philippians chapter 1. And what... What Paul's done so far is he's talked about his love for the church in Philippi. He's talked about how much joy he has, how he, he's prayed for them. And now he knows that they might have heard what's happened to him. And so he wants to address that. He finally gets to the point where he's like, oh, I, I want you to know, verse 12, brothers, that what has happened to me. And he, he uses this phrase, what has happened to me. And it's kind of funny if you think about it because he's kind of sweeping a whole bunch of stuff just off to the side. Hey, what has happened to me? And I know you've, you've probably heard that I'm in, in prison in Rome, and that's, that's what we've figured out so far. This, this letter he wrote to the church of Philippi, he wrote from uh, Rome where he was a prisoner. 
you, you may have heard about some of the struggles that I've had. You may have heard some of the, some of the pain and suffering that I've endured. I want you to know what God is doing through that, that pain, through, that, through those circumstances. Now, I, I want you guys to see this. Paul says, hey, what's happened to me? And then he moves on. But if if we're really going to grab this, I think we need to know what he's talking about there. That phrase, what has happened to me, I don't think he's just talking about the end result, the prison. I think you go all the way back, really Paul's whole ministry, but specifically I think this story starts in Acts chapter 20. We're not going to turn there, but you can go back and read through this whole story. It goes all the way from 20 all the way through the end, Acts 28. But Paul starts Acts 20, he's talking to the, the, the leaders, the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he basically tells them he's going to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. And he says, why? The Holy Spirit's leading me to Jerusalem. And he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but the Holy Spirit keeps telling me that prison and hardship await me in Jerusalem. But Paul says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem because God's leading me to Jerusalem. And I know that there's going to be pain and suffering. And then he says this crazy thing. He says, but I don't really worry about my life. I don't consider my life worth anything except that God has given me a mission to proclaim the gospel. And so I'm going to go. I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow. And he gets to Jerusalem. And he goes into the temple with some of his friends. And some people think that he brought a Gentile into the temple, which was forbidden. He didn't actually do that, but they stirred up some people against him. And the Jews became, like, they formed a mob against him. And they dragged him out of the temple, and they began to beat him. And he's being beaten basically to the point of death. And the Romans heard about it, and they know there's a disturbance. And they rush in to keep the peace, and they see he's the cause of it. And so they arrest him, and they, they, they get him ready to be flogged. So he's been beaten by the Jews, and now the Romans are about to beat him. And then Paul casually just floats it out there that he's a Roman citizen. Is this how you treat the Roman citizens? And all of a sudden, everybody backs up because they don't want to treat him that way. He needs a trial. He needs a fair trial. And they find out he really is a Roman citizen, so they put him in prison because they don't know what to do with him. And while he's in prison, they discover that there's a plot to kill him. The Jews are going to kill him. They figure out a way to kill him while he's in prison, like transporting from one place to another. They're going to kill him. And so they have, to, they have to sneak him out in the middle of the night and get him away from Jerusalem to Caesarea where he waits trial in Caesarea. He actually gets a chance to speak before King Agrippa and King Festus, and he gets to do some things there. But he's a prisoner in Caesarea, and at some point he appeals to Caesar. It's like, I'm not getting anywhere with these guys. And so he goes, just take my matter to Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen. I can make this appeal. And so they're like, okay, off to Rome you go. And they put him on a boat, smooth sailing to Rome from there, except for a storm comes. And the storm is absolutely horrendous. They're not going to make it. They get kind of lost at sea. Paul sees this vision. This angel tells him that they're going to all be shipwrecked, but they're all going to survive if they'll just listen. The Roman soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners, but because of Paul's favor, like they, they talk him out of it. And then the ship runs aground. It breaks apart. Everybody on the ship is spared, but they, they, they have to get to the shore by clinging to pieces of the ship that broke up, like boards and stuff. They just float to the shore. And they get on this island of Malta, and it's like they've been shipwrecked, they're freezing, they're in the, in the ocean, and they walk out and they're building a fire, and Paul's picking up some firewood, and a snake bites him on the hand, a poisonous snake. And they're like, this right here is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, if there ever was one. And they're like, well, he must be a horrible person. After he got saved from the shipwreck, the snake going to get him. And they watch for him to swell up and die, and he doesn't. He shakes the snake off, and he just keeps on going, and then they're like, well, he must be a god. There's like some crazy extremes there. Finally, finally he gets to Rome. Now, 
Paul had always said he wanted to go to Rome. He wrote the letter to the church that we call the book of Romans saying, I want to come there one day. I'm going to come there on my way to Spain because I'm going to Spain because the gospel's never been proclaimed in Spain. So I'm going to stop in Rome. I'm going to spend some time with that church. And he finally gets to Rome, but he doesn't get there as a free person. He gets there as a criminal. He gets there literally in chains. Now, it was interesting as, as I was studying this that he's not in a prison cell. He's not in a dungeon. He's under house arrest at this point of the story. And the Romans had this crazy thing where they would put somebody under house arrest and they would chain them to a guard. So he's literally chained to a guard about 18 inches away. And those guards rotate every six hours. So he's always chained to a guard. And then they would, they would make you pay for your own house. They would make the prisoner pay rent on the house that he was staying in. So Paul had to find a house, rent the house, pay for it, and then he moved in as a prisoner chained to a guard. That's what has happened to him. What has happened to me, he says, that's a picture of that. And guys, I really want us to get a... I, this in our view, this, this understanding of this. So I want you to see what Paul says about it in a different place in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 24 through 28. Talking about his ministry, talking about his journey, talking about his life as a missionary. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, which is a, it's a horrific beating. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger everywhere. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all these churches." This is what he says about his ministry and his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The original Greek has a couple hashtags there that they didn't translate. Hashtag prosperity gospel. Hashtag best life now. That's what it should have said. Like, this is what Paul's life looked like. This is, this is what he describes as, hey, oh, by the way, what's happened to me? And I wanted you to see the circumstances. I wanted you to see the pain. I wanted you to see the turmoil. I wanted you to see the struggle that he's had because of what he says about it. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's perspective on this thing is next level. What, what's happened to me, and this, we just walk through all that. What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I love the word really there because you kind of need it. You kind of need a really. It's kind of like, hey, what's happened to me is advance the gospel. No, really. You, it really, really is. I mean, you don't need that when you're vacationing on the beach and you're taking that foot photo with the water in the background. You're like, hey, yeah, God's really working over here. It's really some good time here. No, really. No, no one, we all get it. But when this is the story and you're in prison, you're, you're, you're chained up to a guard, you don't have freedom, you, you're the missionary who travels and you're chained up and you've had all this hardship and you say, what's happened to me has really been about advancing the gospel, then you kind of add a, no, really, it has. And what we see in Paul's perspective on this thing, the way he's responding to this, it's so challenging. I hope it's encouraging and inspiring, but I think it starts with a challenge. Because Paul basically is confessing a couple things. He's, he's making it clear that he has a completely 
different perspective on his circumstances. And here's the first one, that God can use all our circumstances for his purposes. God can and will and does use all, every single one of our circumstances to accomplish his purposes. That's what God does. He's using our circumstances to accomplish what only God can accomplish. Look at what Paul says here in verse 13. This is all served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's a captive. He's a prisoner. And he turns around and realizes, you know what? I may be a captive here, but I have a captive audience. They're chained to me. Every six hours they put a new guy there. And I can tell him about Jesus. I can share the gospel with him. And that's what, I mean, that's Paul. He's like, oh, another guard, come on in. For the next six hours, let me tell you about Jesus. That guard got up that day, oh, another easy day, chained to some prisoner. No, no, not Paul. It's a whole different thing. Paul's like, no, the whole imperial guard, they know that my imprisonment's for Christ. The whole imperial guard, I get to share the gospel with them. Paul is basically saying, look, God's using all the circumstances in my life for his purpose, for his glory, for his gospel to be advanced. And if you just think about it for a second, like this is a group of people that Paul would have never had access to any other way. He would have never gotten a chance to share the gospel with the imperial guard and people that are in Caesar's household that we'll see at the end of Philippians. He would have never had that opportunity except for his chains. God is using his chains to advance the gospel. God's using his chains for God's purposes and God's plan. That's that's what he's doing. it's, It's bigger than in spite of the chains. It's bigger than God was looking down and saw Paul got arrested. Well, that wasn't a part of the plan. Now, how am I going to use this? Well, I'll just figure out a way to use this change. No, God's behind this. He's making his gospel known because of the chains. There's a difference there. In spite of the chains or because of the chains, everything tells you that God is orchestrating this. He's leading this. He's controlling this. He's, he's guiding this because he's advancing his gospel God's accomplishing his purposes. God can use all of our circumstances, every single one of them, he does, for his glory, for his purpose. But it's not even just that. It gets bigger because the next phrase teaches us that God can use all of our circumstances to encourage others. Look at verse 14. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's, he's a prisoner under house arrest, change of guard, and he's having a party. He's celebrating. Oh, yeah, what's happened to me? Yeah, it's only served to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard knows about Jesus. Oh, and by the way, other believers have heard about what is going on here, and they've become more confident in their faith. They become more bold to share the gospel. They're doing the work that I wish I was doing, but other people are doing it because of how they've heard about the story. You think about the Christians in Rome that heard about Paul being arrested and how that might have caused them fear and to shrink back. Oh, man, let's keep quiet about this. Maybe the church in Philippi, Roman province, would have said, hey, Paul got arrested. We need to be quiet. We need to lay low for a while. And then you hear Paul say, hey, what's happened to me is only advance the gospel. 
This is only open up more doors for the gospel. And you go, man, maybe, maybe we should be sharing the gospel. Maybe we should be bold. I mean, this circumstance that Paul finds him in, that he would have never probably chosen for himself, is something that God is using to encourage others, to encourage the church, to give them boldness, to give them confidence. And this is just a picture of Paul's perspective on his suffering and Paul's perspective on his circumstances that are so negative, so adverse. It's just a, it's a picture of Paul's spiritual maturity. This is a mature response. You know you're growing in your faith when you can see your circumstances through this kind of a lens because circumstances are one of the biggest thieves of our joy. we got circumstances that are happening, they're, they're outside of our control, like weather and traffic and people issues and relationships and all this stuff. They acted this way, they did this, they said this, all this stuff, it's out of our control. And those circumstances rush in and grab our joy and hide it from us. Circumstances are always stealing our joy. And Paul gives us a completely different way to see it. God's using all the circumstances for his purposes. God's using all our circumstances to encourage others. It's a, it's a spiritually mature response, which is the goal. The goal for us as a body, as people, is to grow in our spiritual maturity, to become more and more like Christ. Now, please understand, we're all in a different place on this journey. Every single person in the room is at a different point in the journey of becoming more like Christ, maturing in our faith, growing uh, closer to Jesus as we follow him. And you may be just starting out. You may have stalled for a while. You may have run for a while and just coming back. Everything's fine. Everything's good. We're all on a journey, and none of us have gotten there yet, not even Paul. As much as it looks like it here, he's going to say in Philippians 3, I haven't already obtained all this. So we're all on this journey to become mature, but that is the goal. We want to continue to grow day by day, one degree of glory after another, becoming more like Jesus, being transformed from the inside out into the image of his son. Spiritual maturity is the goal. Here's how Paul says it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, the wisdom comes from God, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's my goal as a pastor. That's our goal as a leadership, is to warn and to teach and admonish and to proclaim and to encourage so that we're all growing, we're all becoming more like Jesus. We're all maturing in our faith, one degree, a little bit, baby steps, it's okay. We're all just moving forward. That is the goal. And one of the ways that you can see spiritual maturity, maybe the clearest, is in how we handle adversity. How do we respond when things don't go our way? And we know what immaturity looks like. I mean, not even on a spiritual level. When things don't go our way, we tend to be, we kind of lean towards a meltdown. And if you really want to, like, make it clear, just look at kids, right? Because kids don't have the maturity to understand what's coming around the corner or that the circumstances aren't as bad as they think. So you watch kids sometimes, and when things don't go the way they wanted them to go, there's a meltdown. And it's embarrassing when it's at Walmart in front of God and everybody. But luckily, parents have just, you know, have the internet to make light of this because it keeps them sane. It doesn't, they're not making fun of their kids, not that much. It's really just because it keeps us sane. So I got a few pictures, some examples I want to show you. Um, put that first one up there. The goat ate the goat food from his hand. And it's a meltdown. I mean, I don't know what he was expecting. I don't know what he was thinking. 
<laughs> hey, you want to feed the goat? Yeah. Oh, put your hand out. Let me put some goat food in there. Feed the goat. Oh, the goat ate it. This is horrible. Like kids and their immaturity, the way they respond to stuff, like it's, they can't figure it out because they're not mature yet. They're, they're going to get there. There's hope. We've all been there, but that's what happens. Let me, let, let's look at the next one. She wanted ravioli for dinner. I made ravioli for dinner. She didn't want ravioli for dinner. Do you see the little ravioli there on the floor? We know how that got there. I mean, even when they get what they want, they're like, no, this is not what I want. They don't even know. Like, this, it's a sign of immaturity. When the circumstances don't go the way you wanted them to go, exactly the way you wanted them to go, there's a meltdown. That's how we respond when we're children. Some of us have grown out of that. Next one. He didn't want to share his leg hole. I mean, he doesn't have the maturity to think through that and where else his leg's going to go in that situation. He's going to have to share. But the best part of the picture is the sister's face. <laughs> she don't care. <laughs> what is his problem? You're going to need to deal with that. Like, this, I want that girl. That's awesome. She's great. Like, just let's go. Come on. Who cares about him? But he, he didn't want to have to share the leg hole that day, and so there's a meltdown. Here's the next one. T-Rex's jaw is not big enough to bite this Lego man's head. The world is ending, y'all. I want it to be big enough to bite his head. I mean, there's a meltdown happening, and he or she doesn't even know yet about T-Rex's arms being so short. <laughs> That's going to cause a whole other level of problems. He can't hold anything. Yeah, meltdowns when it doesn't go our way. This is great. There was a hot dog hidden in his cornbread. I mean, you would think that's a great surprise, right? <gasps> Bonus hot dog. No, no, no. That was not wanted, not expected, not the circumstance he was looking for. So there's a meltdown happening about the hot dog in his cornbread. That's how, that's how kids act. When they don't get their way, when the circumstances didn't go the way they wanted them to go, there's a meltdown waiting to happen. It's normal, okay? There's hope for everybody. It's normal. And they grow out of it for the most part. At least they learn how to hide it. But this is a different level what we're talking about here today. Because what Paul is not, he's not hiding his real emotions here, suppressing them because it's not socially acceptable to complain. He's rejoicing. This whole book of Philippians is this letter of rejoicing, rejoicing. He's maturing. He's showing his maturity for us as an example, as an inspiration, as encouragement. James chapter 1 verse 2 says this. Count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You, you probably know that verse, right? Such an easy one to embrace. Oh, another trial? Yippee! Joy. It's a sign of maturity. James says that we can count it all joy because through the trial, God does something in us to make us stronger, to build our faith. Make us people that persevere so we can see that. Paul says God's doing way more than even that. He's working in every circumstance for his purpose. He's working those circumstances to encourage others. He's doing all kinds of things in the midst of our trials so we can count it as joy. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. So how do we get there? Uh, let, me, let me give you a few ideas on that to, to wrestle with to contemplate, to discuss with your community group, to challenge each other, just some, just some thoughts, that as we mature in Christ, as we strive to mature in our, the way we follow Christ, first, we learn to trust that God is in control of everything. As, as we mature, 
we learn more and more and more that we can trust him, that God is He's good and he's, he's working things for our good, that we can trust him more and more, that he's in control, that he's not taken by surprise by anything that happens in our life. He didn't, he didn't turn away and it snuck up on him. Like he's in control of everything. He's orchestrating the things in our lives, the circumstances to bring himself glory through it. And so the more you understand him, the more you get to know him, the more you worship him, the more you follow him, you begin to trust him more and more and more on the journey. You begin to see he's good. He really is. That he's, he's in control of all the circumstances. He's not, guys, he's not reacting to the circumstances. He's in control of them. You remember the story of Joseph in the, in the Old Testament? Joseph who had a few of those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. His brothers sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. He's separated from his family. And then at the end, they come back because they need food because of the famine. And Joseph's second in charge of Egypt. And he meets his brothers and they don't recognize him. And so he could like punish them forever. But instead, he chooses to reconcile with him. And then he says something amazing. He says, hey, guys, don't worry about it. What you meant for evil... God meant it for good. He doesn't say, oh, what you meant for evil, God switched it around and used it for good. He says the same word. You meant that for evil. God meant it, orchestrated it, controlled it, guided it for good. That's the God that we serve. We can trust him that he's, he, everything that happens to us passes through his hands. It's all under his control, and we can trust him. You guys know this verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All of them. For those who are called according to his purpose. When we love God and we're called by him according to his purpose, all things in our life work for good. And so as we mature in our faith, as we learn to trust him more and more, we know, hey, he's going to work something good out of this. That gives us the ability when something happens to not every single time turn, throw up our hands and go, why me? Because as we mature and we trust Jesus, instead of why me, we go, what is he going to do that's good out of this? How is he going to work through this to make me stronger, to, to bring about his purpose and his glory. How's he going to do this? How's he going to help me use this to encourage somebody in my life? It's a mature response. I'm not there yet. Most of the time I'm not there, but that's where we're going. That's the journey. That's what he's calling us to, is to understand that we, we learn to trust that he's in control of everything. We're still learning. We're on a journey. And as we mature in Christ, we also learn to value God's glory over our comfort. It's a values thing. For Paul, he's saying, hey, guess what? Everything that's happened to me, it's advanced the gospel, so it's great. It's, it's worth celebrating. It's worth rejoicing because what's happened is accomplishing God's purpose. And so Paul's value for God's purpose and God's glory and God's plan is greater than his own comfort. We learn to value God's glory over our comfort the more we trust him, the more we follow him, the more we grow in our faith and our relationship. We see all these circumstances and we go, God's working something out that's better than what I would have worked out. It's better than the plan I would have come up with. Dennis E. Johnson in his commentary, Philippians, said it this way. I love this quote. Paul has been set free from a petty preoccupation with his own comfort. What? This is the one you want to take a picture of on the screen, by the way. I didn't say it. Dennis said it. 
Paul's been set free from a petty preoccupation with his own comfort. He's been liberated by the power of a message, a gospel, a piece of unimaginably good news that has captured his heart for an infinitely bigger cause than himself. Now his personal circumstances don't matter so much, except as they provide a platform for getting the good news of Christ out to people everywhere. Do you see that? His personal circumstances don't matter as much as the platform God's given him to preach the gospel. He's in prison. Oh, here's a platform to preach the gospel to the imperial guard. He's, he gets to be a part of a cause that's infinitely bigger than himself. And guys, when we mature into that place where we understand that God's plan, his glory, his, his purpose is greater than my comfort, my pleasure, my ease, my plans, then we get to be a part of something infinitely bigger than ourselves, infinitely bigger than the small plans that we come up with for our lives. And it's a value thing. We, as we mature, we learn to value God's glory over our comfort as we mature on this journey. And as we mature in Christ, we learn to look for ways to encourage others. We, we learn that whatever we experience, God can take it, turn it around, and use it to encourage, help, bless other people. All of it. All the circumstances he does it all the time. That this is how God works. This is one of the ways that you begin to make sense of some of the things that happen to you is that God's going to redeem it and use you to bring help to somebody else in need. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 is such a clear picture of this. I want you to see it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's the source of all comfort. So look at what he does, verse 4. Who comforts us, in all of our affliction. The God who has all the comfort, when you and I go through trouble, he moves closer to us and he comforts us in all of that. But don't miss the next part, the so that. So that, here's the purpose behind it. So that we may then be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with that comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. The God of all comfort will comfort you and I when we go through trouble so that when we see somebody else that's going through trouble, we can comfort them. Not comfort that we made up, but he gave us comfort and we share it with others. He gave, we share. That's what this looks like. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, my prison time, my, my jail sentence, like, it's only caused others in the church to be bold and share the gospel. God's using it to encourage others. My circumstances are not really about me. It's about God's glory, his plan, and I've, I've seen how God's using it to encourage the church. That's what this is supposed to look like. That's what this looks like. I mean, I, I shared this in the first service. I had people coming up and telling me stories of how this has impacted them or how this has impacted somebody in their community group. You guys have walked this stuff out. You've seen this. In some degree, every one of us has a story similar to this. But, man, when I was looking at this this week, I thought about the Daniel family. Lynn and, Lynn and Cam Daniel over, over here today with us. And um, I thought about a little bit, a little less than a year ago, um, we lost Trevor. And Trevor was in our youth group, uh, amazing, amazing kid. And um, he had cancer, and uh, he, we, we lost him to the cancer. And since then, since watching the Daniel family go through that tragedy, Lynn and Cam, Ethan, Mia, like the whole family go through that, 
Almost immediately, they, they started this, this plan to create a foundation in Trevor's name to raise money and to help other families whose kids are going through cancer. Um, a lot of, some of you were out there yesterday at their family fun day where they were doing a fundraiser and raising money so that they can literally take toys and supplies and things that families are going through cancer with a kid need and they can minister to them. They've turned that whole thing around. Cam and I were just talking before the service. She was telling me about how she's gotten this clearance and all these hoops she had to go through so she can actually go into the oncology ward there at Children's Now and actually be a helper and a worker and a volunteer there. It's like they're just taking the tragedy, taking the experience, and they're turning around saying, we know what it feels like to have a kid going through cancer more than anybody else, and so we're going to help. That, that's what this looks like. That, that's, that's just real life, how it looks like. When, when stuff happens to us that we would have never chosen, we would have never asked for, we have never wanted it to happen to us, that even then, God's so big and so good that he can use it to bring a blessing to others. God is at work in all of our circumstances. <laughs> That's what he does. And as we mature as we grow, as we learn to trust him more and more and more, we see his hand in everything. We see it like Paul. And we learn to trust that he's in control of everything. We learn to trust and value his, his glory and his plan over our comfort. And we learn to look for ways to encourage others. Now, the, the truth is we need more than Paul's example for that. We, we need some real help for that. And that only comes because of what Jesus did. That only comes because of the truth of the gospel, that Jesus endured the shame of the cross, the pain of the cross, the worst circumstance ever to bring us back to God, to make us right with God. And because of what Jesus did, we have hope. The Bible says that we should be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have, So, which means that we're going to go through difficult times and we're going to do it differently because we're going to do it with hope because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished in us, the hope that he's given us for now and all eternity that comes from the gospel story of what he accomplished for us on that cross. And that hope is what fuels us into a new perspective, into maturity in Christ, and to seeing him work through all these circumstances for his glory and his glory alone. So let's be the people. Let's be a church that sees this, that we're maturing, we're growing, we're following, we're trusting, and we see him work through all of our circumstances to accomplish his purposes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth that is in your word. We thank you for this letter that Paul wrote as a prisoner to this church in Philippi with so much encouragement for us, so much instruction for us, so many challenges for us. And, and God, I'm thankful for that word because it, it teaches us and it pulls us closer and closer to you. And so God, I pray that you would help this message today pull us closer in our journey to becoming more like Christ. You, you would help use this, God, for that purpose to accomplish that in us. And God, we're thankful for how, how good you are and how much we can trust you with everything. Help us to live that out for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.